0: All right, guys, so I know it is a Thursday and you are looking forward to a call-in show where people call into the think line, but we are doing a rewind today. Uh, we are rewinding all the way back to episode 626, Prepping from Starting Out to Advanced Tactics. That was originally published on March 17, 2011. The reason we're doing this today is my voice is just about shot. I've been dealing with some kind of a nasty cold only got a few hours of sleep last night. If I try to do a full show today, uh, I'm going to not be able to pull off even the expert council show on Friday, and it won't be my best effort. And I, I try. I would rather run a good rewind like this, which is pertinent and just as valid today as it was all the way back in 2011, uh, which is eight years ago when I originally published it, but uh, then to do a, a, a half-assed show for you guys where you can barely hear me and you're thinking this voice sounds awful and what have you, you don't think it sounds too bad right now got some coffee in me got some uh, peppermint oil going on some vocalese so yeah but if i push it it's going to be bad so uh what we're talking about today is again starting out as a prepper and all the going all the way up to advanced tactics what's important to understand uh, as you listen to today's show is the context of why i did this episode originally the fukushima natural disaster had just just happened. It's been a couple of days into it. They were showing the reactors on fire, the earthquakes, and there were hucksters all over the internet selling bottles of potassium iodine for a hundred bucks a bottle. And my advice was temperance and don't panic and relax. And this will not even affect you if you live in the United States. What responded, what came from it, was a response of, of "You don't know, you're crazy," blah blah, blah from from the audience. And, well, let me just read to you the the intro show notes from this episode as I originally wrote them. With the disaster in Japan, I'm getting a lot of emails from brand new people and long-time listeners. The basic question is, what should we do? Well, this may be hard for you to believe, given the nonstop media coverage of a burning reactor, but the answer is, unless you are in Japan, you should probably not do anything. That said, getting out of Japan, unless you're part of the relief efforts, probably isn't a bad idea. You certainly shouldn't go spend $100 a bottle for potassium iodine on eBay because you will be able to get all you want for 15 bucks a bottle in about a month. There really is nothing for you to do, perhaps other than make a contribution to the relief efforts in Japan. What we should all be doing right now, personally, is using the current disaster to gut-check ourselves rather than worry about some fictitious cloud of death that just isn't going to happen. You should be asking the following. What would it have meant to me if this disaster occurred in California and New York? What if it had been just a tsunami, just a nuclear accident, or just an earthquake, but it happened much closer to me? Would I have been prepared enough to shelter in place or get out of Dodge? And, and that's you know the place that we came from at that time. And I think when it comes to overhype by media, and especially media plus alternative media plus people that want to sell you crap, um, this is not an alone example, just a few off the top of my head. Uh, the swine flu epidemics. There was twice that we were going to all die from swine flu. I'm like, just relax. Ebola, that was another one. I'm sure there's more. Uh, Over the years, there's been plenty of times where everybody revved everything up into a hype. And I was always the voice that said, just relax. It's going to be okay. We prepare for events like this. This one, however, does not affect you. Just let it help you figure out how to channel preparedness so that if something like this does happen where it does affect you you're ready that takes away the fear instead of stokes the fear one of the big lessons from these events though is we're not the crazy ones you ever notice that like we're always crazy we're always the nut jobs we're always the doomsday prepper types whenever they talk about us but whenever the shit hits the fan anywhere in the world all of a sudden, it's nonstop coverage on the media. All of your family and friends that think you're nuts are freaking out, going out and buying shit they don't need, and you're like, well, you know, we'll be okay. We are the sane, rational people. So that's what this episode's about. Again, I'm trying to say my voice, so I'm not going to go long. I do have a couple uh, things I want to cover before I go back to uh, this episode for you with the original audio of March 17, 2011. Uh number one, I wanted to let you know we have a new uh MSB discount vendor. They're called O'Meals. O Meals. And they are basically a civilian type of meal ready to eat. Uh a lot of great stuff. I did a big write up on them today, so I'll do a better explanation of this product tomorrow on the regular new episode. I just wanted to make you aware of it. You can go by the website and see the write up on it. These things are awesome. They really are. And they're about six to seven bucks a serving. And even my grand, grand, uh, son liked them. My grand, my picky grandson enjoyed eating, uh, one of the O'Meals on the back porch with me. That's how good they are. You get a picky kid to eat something, you know, it's good. Uh, they heat up steaming hot, and I got you guys a good discount. Not five points or ten points. How about 20%? 20% on a product like that. If you are gonna stock up some bug out bags and things like that with them, Probably cover a big piece of your MSB right there. So if you've been thinking about MSB, here's yet another company, and that's four I've added in 60 days. Four new great partners in 60 days at MSB. Next is we don't do commercials on the rewinds. However, I do try to remind you always that you can support us by doing your online shopping at tspaz.com, and I just wanted to quickly let you know that the item of the day today is something you've heard about plenty of times from me in the past. past. It's why I picked it for today. But it's Dr. Earth's Premium Gold Organic Fertilizer. It is the core of my personally assembled over 10 years of research and work fertility program. If you said, Jack, out of all the stuff in your fertility program, you can only have one thing, what would it be? It would be Dr. Earth Premium Gold. So you can check out the review. Remember, you can always support us by doing your online shopping at TSPAS no matter what you buy and you can always find everything that I've reviewed there with that we'll go ahead and rewind back to uh, when was it again March 17, 2011 uh, prepping from starting out to advanced tactics Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of Survival Podcast As always one man's view of the changing world the changing times and the things that we could all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Coming to you once again from Arlington, Texas, today with episode 626 of the Survival Podcast. It is March the 17th, 2011, which means, of course, for those that celebrate it, it is St. Patrick's Day. Uh, celebrate that however you choose to, whether it be spiritual or by having a green beer, Uh, What we're going to talk about today though is not St. Patrick's Day, we're going to talk about prepping and we're going to go back to some of the basics of prepping and we're going to talk about some advanced concepts of prepping today. I want to do almost like an overview of prepping today and there's a reason and I'll tell you more about the reason after our housekeeping but I'll just say for now it's because uh, this disaster in Japan and all the questions that it's generating from both the audience that's been listening for a long time and a lot of new people that are coming to this show for the very first time that are a little bit freaked out or a lot freaked out about what's going on. and They're looking for answers. And I'm even getting people that I've known for a long time, that have known I've done this show for a long time, that have never listened to my show calling me and saying, what do I do? You're the expert. You know about this stuff. What do I do? Um, Most of the ones calling me are not going, what do I do? The cloud of death is coming, which we'll talk about in a bit. It's not coming, by the way. Um, More along the lines of it's just kind of jostled them into, look how much can actually go wrong at one time. And what if that happens here? And that's what we're going to address today. All right, with that, let's get into the main topic. And I want to go ahead again, and I want to reference what's going on in Japan. And I want to explain something to you guys that I think it's really important that we understand right now. The biggest question I'm getting is, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? What do we do? And I'm getting it from two camps. One is, I'm kind of waking up to danger, and I want to know how to get started, or I, I don't know if I'm doing enough, and, and that's a rational, insane question to ask right now. Then I'm getting it from another camp that I, I think you guys might be listening to a fellow named Alex Jones. And I find Alex um interesting, entertaining, and sometimes extremely accurate with with information that normally would not get out into the mainstream. So I appreciate him for that. And I don't want anybody to take anything else I'm about to say as a personal attack on Jones. But right now, he's off his flipping rocker. I heard him on the radio yesterday literally going, there's a cloud of death coming toward America right now, and they're lying to you about it. No, I'm sorry, whether he believes that to be true or not, whether he's sensationalizing it, or he maybe he truly believes this. Because I don't see Alex as a liar. I just see him as someone that's a, a bit extreme. It's not a cloud of death coming to America. And what we need to do right now is not go out and spend $100 on a bottle of potassium iodine that only protects you against one of the many dangers of radiation anyway. We need to keep our heads. There's nothing to be done. If you're in Japan, especially northern Japan, getting out's not a bad idea. But if you're sitting over here, thousands and thousands of miles away, with this, this gas venting that's going on, there's not much for you to do. What are you going to do, dig a hole and go hide in the ground? Life is going to go on. I'm going to go out on a limb here. I'm going to forecast what's going to happen for you. And uh, hopefully, a lot of people will hear this four to five weeks from now, and realize that it's time to keep, not only time to keep your head then, because that's when everybody else will be telling you this, but it's always time to keep your head. Unless you're at ground zero of something going on, you need to think before you act. So here's what's going to happen. Um, this is going to stay on our news reels nonstop. They'll bring a guy in to talk about, you know, this or that and some other stuff, but 80% of what you're going to see is going to be this rea- One reactor, by the way, one reactor burning. Uh, not four, not six. You know, There's a lot of reactors there, but one's actually a real big problem right now. And they're trying to get some generators fired up to pump water. And when they do, uh, the pumps aren't going to work. I'm going to tell you that right now because they're freaking melted and damaged from the heat. So the initial thing will be listed as a failure, and they don't know what to do now, but they'll have these reserve generators brought in. And they'll bring in some other sort of, uh, pumps they can jerry rig and eventually they'll start pumping water and they'll get this mess under some level of control. It will stay a level six, not go to a level seven disaster. Uh, there's shielding that exists in these reactors that didn't exist in Chernobyl. That's, that's why it's not a Chernobyl. It's not that the problem's not just as bad, it's that there's containment that did not exist. You have to understand, when you see this building opened up, that building's not the reactor. It's a building around a containment system around a reactor. So this will take weeks, and eventually they'll get this under control, and then the conspiracy people will say that they're lying about the level of exposure, and they'll beat the drum for about another two weeks, and then they'll go off on a new topic du jour, And within four weeks to a month, the only talk we'll hear about Japan is the rebuilding. And the tragic stories of the people that were actually really close to the disaster that are going to die from the radiation exposure. But the number of people that die from the radiation exposure in Japan in total will probably be far less than the number of people that died from the earthquake and the tsunami. Now, that I hope I'm right about that. that. That I could be wrong about because we don't know how bad the leakage is in the general area and how many people are exposed, especially in a densely packed nation like Japan. I'm not saying everything's okay. I'm not saying everything's good over there. I'm not saying it's all copacetic. I'm saying that it is a situation uh, that is highly volatile, highly dangerous, and, and, and one of the biggest disasters in history. But it's not as big as Chernobyl. It's not going to be as big as Chernobyl. And you didn't die in America from Chernobyl. And you're not going to die in America from 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 this. It's just not going to happen. So what we need to do is we need to ask ourselves instead of worrying about you know can I find an iodine supplement uh, and every supplement manufacturer out there is beating this drum. See, this is what I want you to understand about this. I made a commitment to this audience from the very beginning to be level headed, to tell you the truth, and to do things that are in your best interest, not my best interest. Right now, it would be very easy for me to jump on the bandwagon of everybody that's saying how much danger there is in this for you. I could make you guys buy tons of stuff from my sponsors by saying, it's coming, get ready, buckle down. I could sell something to you if I wanted to sell you something directly other than a membership to my site. I could probably use this to sell memberships if I put my salesman brain around it. I could do things to grow my listener base by going out there into the world of freakism and coming up with some shock broadcast that would go viral. I could do a lot of things that would further the show short term. Or I could make my commitment to you, which is never mislead you, never lie to you, explain the facts as I understand them with an understanding that I can be wrong, and help you build your better life. And I choose to do The second one. Because it's what I committed to. Everybody in this industry is using this to build fear so that they can build whatever little piece of their empire they have in stake in the preparedness industry. And I'm not going to. Because I think you deserve more. I think you deserve me to keep doing what I've always done. That's what today's show is about. So how do we react to this? I think what we say to ourselves is, okay, uh, you know, maybe there is even some long-term radiation issues for the whole planet here. We don't really know yet. We're going to have to wait and see. But since we're not all going to start living in a hole in the ground, and since iodine only has a limited capacity to protect us from radiation anyway, and since anybody allergic to seafood, by the way, shouldn't be taking the crap, we need to ask ourselves, ask ourselves some questions. What if this happened here? Would I be ready? If this happened in California and I live in the western United States, how would it affect me? If I lived on the east coast, what if this happened somewhere, let's say, in New York or Ohio? or I don't know if they have nuclear plants in Ohio. I'm pretty sure they have at least one. What what would it be like for me? What if I live in the middle of the United States and this happened on either coast? What would this mean for me? What if it wasn't even a nuclear disaster? What if it was only the tsunami? What if I was you know, on the west coast here? And this happened. What if I wasn't even in the immediate danger area, but as all the supplies started to dry up in my general vicinity, as people hoarded and people sent them off to the relief, what would I do? If this simply was a nuclear reactor that went postal, or went nuclear, (laughs) and they had to shut down my portion of the grid for a week, what would I be doing? If this was an earthquake that devastated my community, would I be ready? If this happened exactly this way right here, if there was an earthquake in California that blew up a nuclear reactor and caused a tsunami, what would I be doing? See, that's the lesson from this, at least one of the lessons, the lesson for us now. There's going to be massive lessons from this thing long-term, but the short-term lesson is we do what we can to help, And right now, for most of us in America, that's just a financial contribution. And we evaluate our own lives. And I think the first thing we need to say to ourselves is, what do we need to survive? What What is integral to our survival? And it's food, it's water, it's air, it's security, it's energy. These are the things that we need to worry about. We need to be able to feed ourselves. So I want to ask a lot of you guys that listen, are you really taking food storage seriously? Are you really storing what you eat and eating what you store? If I came to your house and said, this is a drill, but you know, you're know you going to participate in it. We're even going to pay you for it. We've cleared it with your boss. You don't have to go to work. And you're going to get paid, so you don't have to worry about the finances. This is just a drill. But basically, we're going to lock you in your home for three weeks. How skinny would you be by the time three weeks were up? Even if you were still eating food, how miserable would you be? Do you have enough food for three weeks to a month in your home? What if this was a pandemic? What if this was a pandemic right now? And what if you you were hearing, stay in your homes, the areas under quarantine, and you had to stay there for 30 days? Is there enough food for 30 days in your home? And I know there's people out there right now saying, well, there's an earthquake here, guy. Okay, so there's an earthquake. Let's say I had 30 days' worth of food in my home, and my home collapses on my food. Well, like I said yesterday, what if your aunt had balls? She'd be your uncle. What if you are anybody outside of the general vicinity of the earthquake that just can't get food? What if only part of your home collapsed? I mean, there's so many what-ifs and variables. It's like saying, well, you know, what if the gas runs out? Well, you're not going to get rid of your car tomorrow. You do the best you can under the current circumstances. So fundamental one, food. Fundamental two is water. And, and they're almost equal. Because you need food and water every day. And you need water every day. You can go, you could eat food every other day, you ain't going to be happy, but you could survive. You can't go days without water. It's impossible. Uh, without severe medical consequences, including something called death. And if you die, you've, you know, you're not going to survive. You've kind of blown the first rule of survival, which is wake up tomorrow breathing. So one of my very good long-term friends called me yesterday and said, I think I need to start storing water. How much should I store and how should I store it? And I said, you know, here's the thing. You can only store so much water, dude, because it's bulky and it weighs a lot. And you have a great big, this guy has a great big pond. So why don't you start out by getting yourself a good water filter system? And I, had, uh, I contacted Jeff, the Berkey guy, for him and had Jeff quote him a Berkey system. Uh, with, uh, with the, all the options, so, you know, the water you're drinking out of your faucet right now is already poison. It's got chlorine in it. It's got fluoride in it. And this guy's big into health and he feeds his family organic foods and things like that. I'm like, why don't you start giving them water? That's worth drinking. Go out and buy yourself, you know, 25 to 50 gallons worth of water and store it in a closet somewhere. You have a big house. If you want to start doing the five-gallon can thing, that's fine, but they're awful expensive. I don't understand this. Maybe you guys can explain this to me. Go out and buy one of them blue five-gallon water cans. costs more than a gas can. It just doesn't make sense to me. Somebody should be able to make water cans affordable. Entrepreneurs out there, maybe you should check into that. Good, uh, quality, rugged uh, five-gallon water cans that would sell for about 5 to $6. I think you'd sell more of them than you could, you could make if you could figure out how to do it. Um, and the ones that they're making now, by the way, I'm not real happy with them. I remember years and years ago, I bought one of the standard, you know, blue five gallon cans, and uh, from Walmart, and put it in the back of my truck and filled it up with water because I was going fishing on the beach. It was just to have some fresh water on the beach for rinsing your hands off and things like that. And got to the beach and it was ruptured from the vibrations in the back of the truck. So I think we can do better than what we have. So get a water filtration system. I think it's one of the biggest investments you can make in your future security. I I like Berkey. I think that they're the best system out there. I'm glad to have them as a sponsor. If I didn't have them as a sponsor, from everything I know, I would still tell you I think that they're the best bet. Get a Berkey system. Put it in your home. Now, if you're deeply in debt, you have no money, you're broke, and you have no preps, don't start with that. That's a significant investment. But if you have yourself in a financial good state and, uh, and you don't have a way to make sure that you have fresh, clean water available, I think it's a great investment. But have a means to purify water and store some water. If we store some food and water, we've got half the situation licked. It's a matter of how long we can go on that food and water. And I think if you have less than 30 days, you're woefully underprepared, and I don't think 30 days is enough, by the way, but if everybody in this country just had 30 days' worth of reserved food and water or water purification capacity, I think we'd be a lot better off. And let me talk to you a little bit about water purification uh, capability. I don't care what system you have. Berkey's what I recommend, but if you have another system that performs equally or better, uh, fine. There have been so many times that things have happened that we don't really hear about if they don't affect us. There was a show I watched recently about uh, contamination of a water supply. It was in, uh, I think it was Boston or Michigan, somewhere up up in the Northeast area, or north, you know, north central United States, where you know Cryptosporidium had uh, infected the town's water supply, and thousands and thousands of people got sick. And that's happened in municipalities. I've read, I saw another show about it happening in a province in Canada. And if you were using a good quality water filtration system, it would have never affected you. There's been, you know, boil water advisories and things like that issued for a variety of reasons, bursted mains. I, I want you again to realize to pull yourself out of this dementia with this massive disaster that's so overwhelming and so sad and so horrific But it doesn't have to be that level for it to affect you. And odds are, when something does affect you, it won't be that big. But you're still going to need to feed yourself. You're still going to need water to drink. You lose a job and you have 30 days worth of food. You have food on the table for 30 days. Cut and dry as I can make it. I do think you need a plan to get the hell out. You have to have a plan. What am I going to do if I have to leave? There are some disasters that come with little to no warning. And there are some disasters that are well-telegraphed punches. And in those well-telegraphed punches, sometimes the best thing to do is leave. For a lot of people in uh, in hurricane country, sometimes those things are so obvious that they're coming. Sometimes you have days, you know, and people are like waiting for the last minute, even though all the projections say it's coming. Well, get out. How do you know whether to bug out or not? I mean, that's one of the biggest topics I've seen. I've seen it in forums. I've seen it on email threads. I've heard it on other people's shows. Uh, Let me put it to you very, very simply. Whenever your odds of survival increase by leaving, you leave. Whenever your odds of survival increase by staying, you stay. And that is all. That is the only question you ever really need to evaluate but you have to understand that sometimes the answer is going to be my odds of survival increased by leaving. That's if you're close to uh, this this burning nuclear plant right now in Japan. Your odds of survival are better if you get the hell away from the radiation. And there are people in our community that say, well, I'm not leaving. They're not making me leave. Well, stay and die then. I I, I just don't have time for people like that in my life anymore. Every time I do a show about bugging out, I get emails from people very, very offended that I would ever suggest that you leave. So when the, there's a credible threat that there's an atomic bomb in downtown Dallas, and you're sitting in the I.M. building on the 19th floor, running your accounting software, stay. Just stay and go up in the mushroom cloud, then, if that's you. For everybody else with a frickin' brain, if that's the situation in as orderly a fashion as possible, being as careful as possible, uh, and trying to get your family back together, and trying to avoid being crushed by the mob that has no plan, get out. And there's times to go early. If you go early and nothing happens, you took an impromptu vacation. If you go late and something does happen, maybe it's your permanent vacation. I mean, I, I can't make it more clear than that. So we need a plan to get out. The next thing we have to say is we may be staying put and we may be going without power, so we need some level of redundancy in our energy. I think one of the best first things you can do is put together a simple battery backup system for yourself that will do something like run a fan and some lighting. That could be a couple batteries hooked up to a charger that you plug in the wall that you keep charged at all times. You can add a solar panel to it later so that you have some uh, long-term sustainability, and then at least you have that. And at least when it's 105 degrees and the power goes off, because everybody turns their thermostat down to 61 degrees to try to stay cool, you can run a fan. And from there, I think you get a small to mid-sized generator, and long-term, I think you look at getting a larger, uh, more sustainable generator, and you store fuel for it in whatever form that generator you choose to have uses. And I also think that you look long-term at installing solar and or wind on your, your rooftop or in your backyard if it's feasible in your area. I think we need to start taking individual personal responsibility for some of our own energy needs for a variety of reasons. One, because the current system is going to fail sooner or later. And two, it's going to get more and more expensive to be part of that system. And three, it's good to be independent. It's good to have your own choices, your own options. I think it's something that we, we, we lose when everybody that talks about green energy talks about saving freaking polar bears that are doing just fine, by the way. Yes, folks, the polar bears are fine. There's nothing to worry about there. When we talk about green energy only for the environmental benefits, we lose over half of the potential customers for green energy products. I don't care if it's green. I care if it's sustainable. My problem with burning natural gas is that I'm worried about a polar bear, and so we got to suck it up out of the ground, and it gets harder and more expensive to extract every time we extract a certain amount of it. And because it causes environmental damage far beyond burning it and releasing CO2, with things like hydraulic fracturing and having it seep into groundwater. These are the reasons I'm opposed to natural gas. But the reason I want solar panels on my roof and a, you know, and a battery backup system and, and be able to run power directly on my home if the grid goes down is so I can run power if the grid goes down or so I can partake less of the grid because it costs me ongoing where an investment in green energy costs me once. So I think we need to have in our prepping an energy plan and I think It's a very small baby step plan initially, and then it's a plan that expands over time. And I want you to think about this this way. Most people, and this is true with a lot of the things when it comes to being a prepper and eventually moving into a realm of self-sufficiency and self-reliance, most people work their entire lives and they save whatever money they can and they save it in the form of taxes they call Social Security, but that's your money you're trying to save there, by the way, in a very inefficient program, 401Ks, IRAs, money in the mattress, whatever it is. And at some point, you've worked long enough, you're just tired, you don't want to do it anymore, you physically can't do it, or nobody wants you anymore. And now you're retired and you have some chunk of change left. And all during that time, you were buying the things that you need to survive, like food, like energy, etc., piecemeal, a la carte, so to speak. You buy enough energy to run your house every month on a monthly basis. And if you really think about it, you're kind of buying it on a daily basis. You're just paying the bill once a month. And and this is how most of us live our lives. So when we look at something like investing in a solar array, we see it as a major expense versus a very small expense an electric bill. I know for some of you guys your electric bills are huge because the size of your home, where you live, the cost of energy where you live, you have four kids and are always taking hot showers or whatever. But that electric bill, no matter how big it is, looks small compared to twenty grand to put a you know a six K system on our roof. But that is a one time cost. Now there's some maintenance and upgrades and things like that need to be done over the life of the system, but it's a one time cost. That produces energy for a very, very, very long time. And it's, it's a, a capital deferral is the way to look at it. I can pay for it long term in small bites and spend vastly more money, or I can buy it today and produce it long term for a larger initial investment and a shorter overall cost on the life of the system. Now, if I'm 75 already, uh, that system may never pay itself back in my lifetime. So hopefully I'm handing it down to my kids because I'm going to move into my house or something like that. But if I'm 30, I'm going to get a return of investment on any type of a green energy system. But I still think we start out with something like simple battery backup systems. Hey, the Power Dome EX that I did a video on, it's a great first step on some power redundancy. Uh, crank flashlights, some batteries, and things like that. Lighting and heating. These are the things you need to think about most. And then some level of cooling capacity, especially if you have young children and infants. Uh, and live in the South. There's there's times of the year where if you go without power, literally their safety becomes in jeopardy. We also have to think about our security. One of the really great things to come out of this disaster in Japan is that so far there's no looting or rioting. Great. It doesn't mean it won't happen here. And the sad thing is it, it probably would happen here. We need to look no further than New Orleans to see that it can happen here. We also need to realize that it doesn't always happen here. There wasn't a whole lot of rioting or looting going on around 9-11. And I believe 2003 it was, I was in New York City when the lights went out. And it was a mass walkout exodus from Manhattan. The whole island was dark. I just hung out. I found a guy that was selling beers on a, from his little restaurant and sat down and watched people walk out. He was taking cash. I always have cash on me. That's part of your preps as well. What do I do to prep? Well, do you have any cash? No, get some. What? You know, that doesn't sound real survival-y, but hey, it addresses a real-world situation, right? But just because we have disasters where people keep their heads, we shouldn't turn away from disasters where people don't. So I think there's multiple things that you need to have prepared to be able to defend yourself. I believe what Frank Sharp said when I had him on the show last week. If you're going to carry a gun, you better carry pepper spray, because if you only carry a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And I think that there's a place for non-lethal self-defense, and I think pepper spray is a great idea. My particular brand of choice right now is called Inferno by Colt Steel. And from everything I've looked at everything I've researched, it's the best stuff I could find, and it's very, very affordable. You guys, with this, with the pepper spray that's two years old, throw that crap away and get some new stuff. I, I remember talking, one of my favorite people, you know, Eric from the handgun podcast, you know, he says, I don't test my pepper spray, I might need it all one day. And I said, Eric, if you don't test it, you don't know if it'll work. And you're going to feel really bad when you pull it out and you have something really depending on it, and you press the button and it trickles out on your hand. And I've seen old pepper spray do just that. Six months to a year maximum. And if you have a large enough container, you give it a little squirt at six months. If it looks like a good strong stream, maybe you carry a little bit longer. I'm telling you, a a key ring size thing of Inferno is about seven bucks. I just toss them at about six months and replace them. And I just think it makes sense to do that. Have a means of defense. That also means a gun. And let me explain something to folks about guns. If you do not have ammo to go with the gun, you have an expensive club. And if you do not have training to go with the gun... You have an ineffective weapon. The gun portion of your preps, whether it's one or a battery, needs to consist of ammunition, the gun itself, training, and maintenance equipment. So that includes ways to, to do some basic gunsmithing and care, cleaning, and maintenance of your gun. If you don't have all of those, you are you're betting your life, literally betting your life. Because when it comes to needing the gun, it's life and death, or you shouldn't be going there. So when it comes to the gun, it's your life or the life of someone else at stake. And if you're leaving any of those things out, it's not, it's not something I want to bet my life on. I'll put it to you that way. So we've got to have a means of defense. We also have to start thinking about what if the system doesn't break down. And I, I know that for a lot of new people that maybe are not familiar with the tone of this show yet, that may be something you're not expecting to hear, especially right now when we've just had one of the most unprecedented disasters in the history of the modern world occur. But for most of us sitting here in America, other than the emotional toll, because it hurts me to see so many people dead. If, if that doesn't hurt you, if you don't feel pain on that, I, I, I ask you to examine your humanity and where you left it. But in a in a direct way it's not affecting you. It just isn't. And and, and that giant cloud isn't coming. And if we you know, here's my big fear for people in general that get started with prepping because of Japan. The same thing that happened to people that got started prepping because of Y two K or Katrina or nine eleven. It doesn't become part of your life. It just becomes something you do because you feel it's important and then it just goes away. Where prepping can be the most empowering, liberating, freeing thing in the world. Prepping can lead you to retire early. And I mean that. It can. Prepping leads you out of debt. Prepping leads you into a world of abundance and surplus. Prepping leads you to a world where you solve problems with your mind versus knee-jerk reactions. Prepping requires you to think. You have to plan. You have to think about the fact that you're mortal. You have to think about that your life is finite. You can't survive forever. Eventually, eventually everyone hearing my voice right now, including myself, will fail the first rule of survival. We will not wake up the next day breathing. We will be dead, and our shells empty. That's what I believe the body is, a shell. It will be completely empty. And maybe someone can use our liver or our heart or something like that, but other than that, we are a decaying corpse. I think we'd be better thrown into the woods and allowed to compost than buried in a concrete vault. But that's that's our destiny, every single one of us. Prepping, in a positive way, puts you in touch with that. It's actually a very positive thought to think that one day you will die. I know it doesn't sound like it, but it is. Because it, the reality's there, whether you want to accept it or not. And we, none of us know how many days we get. Tomorrow morning, you could have a nuclear plant explode in your backyard, if you live near one, into a, a massive explosion that irradiates you and kills you. And more likely, you could be driving down the road and pfft, a ten-wheel truck, you know, a ten-wheeler truck carrying a couple tons of gravel just runs over you and kills you dead. Or you could go to the doctor, and you could say, "I've got bad news." It can happen to any of us. And when you get in touch with that, the liberating component is you start to look at the system that you've become a slave to, and you start asking yourself, "Do I really want to stay in these systems? Do I really want to? Re- Do I really want to wait till I'm?" 59 and a half or 65 or 69 and a half or 72 or whatever age my financial advisor tells me I have to work to under my current plan? Do I want to listen to idiots like Susie Orman who told me everything was fine in 2008 and now is making a tour to all the networks talking about how it's the new American dream and you just need to accept the fact that you have to work till you're 70? This is what this pinhead is actually saying right now. How is this related to survival planning? Because survival's not just about making the first rule, wake up breathing. It's also about your quality of life. People ask me, Jack, what do we do if there's ever global thermal nuclear war where they irradiate the entire planet? I don't know. I'll probably stand on the top of a mountain and give the middle finger to one of the missiles as they come down because it probably ain't worth living in. I'm not here to live in a hole in the ground. And i got to go at some point. And I hope the hell it never happens that way, and odds are it won't. But understanding my mortality has led me to a point where I'm not even 40 yet and I want out of the system completely. That might not be for everybody, but my, my question for you is how much of the system do you want to be in? Most people live their entire lives 100% in the system and then spend their last days 100% dependent on the system. And as a disaster uh, strategy, it's terrible. Because as soon as the system fails, you have nothing. And as a life plan, it's terrible because you're always dependent. And when you're dependent on anyone or anything, you're own, there's only one word that describes what you are. That word is slave. And the majority of Americans today are slaves to their job. They're slaves to their government. They're slaves to their community. They're slaves to society. They're slaves to the nation. They're slaves to the wealthy, and they're slaves to the poor. Do you realize that, that most of America is not just enslaved by the wealthy, but enslaved by the poor? We enrich the wealthy and we pay for the existence of the impoverished at the point of a gun. Don't pay your taxes and see how quickly a man with a gun shows up and takes you to a place called prison. That's the reality that we live in, and prepping is a path out of that reality. Prepping is a path to freedom. Are the is going to come after me for a trademark infringement? For those not aware of that inside joke, just let it pass. But prepping is a path to freedom. And I'll say that whether they like it or not. Because it leads you out of the system. And that doesn't mean that we turn our back on the entire system. Look, folks, as long as there exists a good quality Tex-Mex restaurant, once in a while I'm going to go get myself a big old sizzling pile of fajitas. But I'm not dependent on that. As long as there's a store that I can go down to and buy good organic peppers, which is real hard to do right now, at a time of the year where I can't grow them, I'm still going to have fresh peppers. But I have dehydrated ones to get by when they're not available. See, it's not about seeing the entire system as evil. It's about seeing the way the system has been utilized and the way it's been sold to us as evil. So how do you prepare for the systems to fail? You create a lifestyle where you don't need them, or you need very little of them, or you only partake of them for the purposes of comfort. And then you wake up one day and go, wait a minute, if I don't need the systems, then I don't have to be in them. And all of a sudden you you realize that you're only steps away from your own liberty. You can walk that path straight out to your own individual freedom. See, here's how I came to this conclusion. I spent a lot of my life as a Republican. I really did. This is. I know it sounds political, but give me a moment here. Um, I believe the marketing of the Republican Party, smaller government, less taxes, less intrusion into our personal lives, and yet they continuously intruded into people's personal lives on social issues. So I looked at what the Democrats were doing, and they were completely intruding into your life on anything that you owned or possessed, Uh, even by their own marketing. And then when I really looked at what both of them were doing, they are actually doing the same damn thing. So I found this thing called libertarianism, and I became a libertarian, which meant I believed in, in social freedoms and economic freedoms. I was socially liberal and fiscally conservative, I guess is the best way to put it. And I even got involved with the Libertarian Party. I even ran for office as a Libertarian candidate. didn't work out very well. And I realized something about the Libertarian philosophy. It's a great idea that doesn't sell very well because it's for independent, liberty-oriented people that aren't saying, what do I get out of this? What they want out of this is freedom and liberty and to be left the hell alone. And there's not a lot of people in America that actually want that anymore. Everybody believes that they deserve some piece of the pie for themselves. Whether they've actually gone out and baked the pie or not doesn't matter. And I said to myself, how did this country start out? Because we actually were with... You know, one major glaring exception, and that would be the blight of slavery. We were a very libertarian country for a long period of time. And how did our founders set us up that way? Why did they set us up that way? And what were we supposed to do? Because now we're this global empire that our founders never wanted us to be. What they wanted us to be was an example. They felt if you lived the way we decided we were going to live, that other nations would join us, we wouldn't have to invade anybody, that their own citizens would look and go, we want that. The best would come here, and sooner or later it would affect change elsewhere. And I realized that the way to expose libertarian ideas has nothing to do with who I vote for. That's how I live. And that I can live as a libertarian in the middle of a socialist oligarchy a fascist socialist oligarchy that is our current economic system in the United States today. And I know I sound like I'm miles away from disaster preparedness, but guess what happens when you decide I'm going to live like a libertarian? You realize that, okay, then I can't change the system so I have to extract myself from the system. And so in an effort to extract yourself from the system, you become a prepper. Uh, or you take the other path and you decide I need to be prepared for disaster. I can't be dependent upon the systems. And the two paths lead to the same place, liberty. Then what you politically believe doesn't matter. You can do whatever you damn well like. That's what freedom is. See, this is why freedom actually scares some people. If I want true freedom, you have to be free to be completely okay with... I have to be completely okay with your freedom to completely disagree with me. And to expose your own ideas and to, to counter my own. And that's fine. But in the end, we both end up with freedom. And as long as your opinions don't impact my liberty, I have no problem with you. But that is disaster preparedness. Do you know why... The world's word survivalist didn't exist in, let's say, 1900. And if you think about it, there was a lot more to be concerned with in 1900. A flu pandemic was a much bigger deal than it is today. More and more people would die. I mean, there's no doubt about it. We didn't have, you know, modern antibiotics. A crop failure was a bigger deal. Crop failure was a much bigger deal. A lot more people would starve or there would be a lot more of a famine. There were so many things that if they happen today that we can deal with them better than we could have in 1900. But there was no term survivalist in 1900. Not that I can find anyway. And the reason was because everybody already was one. It would have been like coming up with a different word for human being. Or person. Like coming up with a new word. word. Earth inhabiter. Earth inhabitor. Right? I mean, it just wouldn't make any sense. Well, of course you're an earth inhabitor. You're an earthling, right? You know? Two-legged, hairless monkey. Whatever. Just inventing a new way. It, it wouldn't have made any sense to these people. And you would, it would have said, what? what do you mean by survivalist? Well, we're prepared in case there's no food. Well, that's everybody. This, this whole concept of being dependent is a new thing. This whole concept of flying by the seat of your pants with your most precious needs of life is a new thing. The slothfulness has come from an an era of cheap energy that you can't imagine how much energy we produce compared to the energy that was available no matter what you had as far as wealth in 1900. Just a hundred or so years ago, if you didn't prepare for winter, you froze to death. If you didn't prepare for food shortages, you starved to death. And then they brought to us the yoke of of economic slavery and said, if you do this, there will always be food, there will always be water, there will always be warmth, there will always be cooling. You'll just have to work for it. And most people willingly took it upon themselves because it seemed like a good idea at the time. The the one generation was thinking it will be better for the next. They really didn't even know what they were getting themselves into. And there's so many wonderful things. I I am not against technology. I'm speaking to you across the internet right now. I couldn't have done this show. Let alone 1900, 1950, 1970, 1985. Wasn't that long ago. 1995. It would have been all but impossible for the survival podcast to exist. It's only in the past 15 years that people like me could even use technology and energy to reach out and get our voices heard. I don't want to put that genie back in the bottle, but I don't want to be 100% dependent upon it. Prepping is like learning how to do division with pencil and paper before they put a calculator in your hand. Doesn't mean you won't use the calculator, but if it's not available, you know how to get the answer. And the answer, again, it leads to liberty, it leads to freedom, and it leads to independence. The last thing I want to talk to you about today with your prepping is probably the last thing on most people's mind right now as we look across the sea to our our uh, Japanese brothers and sisters over there who are dealing with the most horrific thing you could possibly think of and many of them simply looking for food or water or comfort and it just doesn't seem like it, it fits. But even for a lot of people that were affected by this over there, they would have been better off if they were not saddled with debt, especially the people that are not. Again, we, we always have to understand what disasters. There's a direct impact, and there's some people in that direct impact that they're just not going to make it, and that's part of the mortality. And then there's people that are severely injured or severely disabled or severely impacted. They're going to need someone to come get them because they can't get out. And then there's the largest population of all affected by the disaster. Those that simply go without food and water and comfort. And those that have their lives disrupted. That lose their jobs. How many people lost jobs because of 9-11? Didn't get a, didn't get a single speck of that horrible white dust on their body anywhere. But yet sometime thereafter, in a midst of a recession that was a huge part of the impact of that, ended up losing a job. Well, debt. When anything like that happens, anything other than your life being taken from you, debt makes it worse. Whether you're injured in the hospital and you have a big medical bill, additional debt makes it worse. Losing your job, debt makes it worse. Hating your life and feeling like you can't change it, debt makes it worse. Debt's got to go. It's got to be your primary objective in your life is to become debt-free. And if you don't think that way, you're going to spend your entire life battling an enemy that you cannot kill unless you specifically target its heart. Debt is designed to stick around, to stay around, to be around, to rule your life. One of our earliest founders... There's someone I don't really like very much. His name was Aaron Burr, and uh, he was part of Washington's second cabinet, and he re- re- remained underneath uh, John Adams for a while. And he was a big proponent of the central banking system and of debt for the nation. And the point of having debt for the nation was, get this, the more debt we have, the bigger the government we're going to have to have to deal with the debt and the more control the federal government would have. Do you think this stuff's new? <laughs> Get us a miniseries called John Adams and watch it. And watch the conversation that goes on in that cabinet in one of the later editions of the show. And you'll see the genesis of the debt enslavement of our nation how far it goes back and what the real motivation behind it is. You want to be free of the systems? You can never be free of the systems with the chains and slavery of debt on your back. And I can tell you this, once you're free of debt, a path completely out of the system is less than 10 years away. So it's up to you. And that's why I've always said, debt is not measured in dollars, it's measured in years. And if you've put yourselves into 20 years of debt, slavery and prison, and it takes you four more to get out, I'm sorry that you've done it, but work on it, get out of it. Do it. You will never feel as free as the day that you pay off the last dollar of debt. I know that doesn't sound like what I started out talking about today. But just to sum it up, the way we put our lives in order and we get independence and freedom and liberty from the systems and we're prepared then to deal with disasters that take the systems away is to not need the systems today. It doesn't mean we don't use them. It means we don't need them. So we take what we want by choice. So we have to be able to feed and provide water for ourselves, provide our own energy. We have to be able to provide our own security. We have to provide our own shelter. If we can get those things knocked out, free of debt, that last linchpin, then we have independence, liberty, and freedom. And we're as well prepared as we can be for whatever disasters come our way. If you want to ask me this question, Jack, how do I prepare so that no matter what happens... I'm never taken down by disaster. My answer to you is I cannot tell you that. I can tell you how to almost get there. I can tell you how anything other than being in the direct impact, how you can solidify your life so you can come out the other side and prosper. But if you want me to guarantee your survival, I'm not God. And neither are you. And neither is anybody else walking around on this planet right now. And sooner or later, we'll all meet our maker, however you want to take that. What matters is how we live today. What matters is claiming our own freedom and our own independence. And with that, this has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Okay, guys, I hope you enjoyed that uh, that journey back into the past there. Unlike most of the rewinds, I am recutting the end of this one, too, just because, well, John Adam does a really good job of putting together the song lists. And occasionally John does a themed week, and this is Journey Week. And I just didn't want to mess it up on him because I had to do a rewind today because of my crappy throat. Um, the song today from Journey was released in 1986. It's called Raised on Radio, and again, I want to be brief today to save my voice, but this song is pretty much a whole bunch of lines that either are from or reference other songs. It is one of those songs that kind of pays homage to all the people that came before and influenced your work. So, the fun part then, listen to it, see how many songs you can pick up as you listen to this song, because indeed, in many ways, especially like this song came out in 86, Those of us that grew up in like the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, for me it's like the 70s, 80s, we really were kind of raised on radio. Again, hope you enjoyed the Rewind today. I will be back tomorrow with an expert council Q&A show. With that's been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't.